0: Would you take God's word and turn to Jonah chapter 4? We've been in a series, and I'm going to highlight next week. It's going to close the series out. Piercing Words coming in, and if you never heard Piercing Word, they take nothing but scripture and they act it out on stage. So we will see the entire book of Jonah acted out here next week as we wrap our material up. That's yeah, exciting. I encourage you to be here. Now, last week I gave you some homework. What makes you angry? And then wave it against verse 4 of chapter 4, where God asked the question, is it really okay to be angry about this? Now, evidently, I've been told that the first thing on some people's list was the pastor gave us homework. Sorry about that. But I'd be curious what your lists would include. I mean, I can imagine there's on almost probably a lot of lists, traffic and driving, Amen. I mean, I was sitting in a green light this past week. It turned green, and the car, just one in front of me, person head down, you could tell they were texting away, they weren't moving, so I just gave a little gentle tap of my horn, and what happened? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and they looked up right when the light was going yellow, and when it turned red, they floored themselves through the light. And I sat there and said, I can't get upset. Then I had to put on my list, can't get upset. Now, for others on your list, it probably includes some people. There's probably some people that really kind of ticked you off this past week, and especially their behaviors. I mean, how many times do we sit there and say, you know, they didn't do what we thought they ought to do, and even when they did it, they didn't do it the way that we wanted them to do it. Every parent knows that feeling. (laughs) But we do that to each other, don't we? But what we're doing this morning is putting anger under the light of God's word and asking the question, how did it hold up? Three questions in, John, in Jonah chapter 4. Verse 4, verse 9, verse 11. First two are similar in nature, the third really go to the heart of the matter. So look at these questions as we read the text this morning. And I'm going to start at verse 1 and read down through verse 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "'O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And every person that was baptized this morning was thankful to God for that. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself he sat under it in the shade till he should till he should see what would become of the city so he was still hoping that god might change his mind now the lord god appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant but when the dawn came up the next day god appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant? That's the second question. And he said, yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. So the first question really is the question of Who's right? Do we do well to be angry about this particular situation? Now, if you and I were in charge of this, if we were God and Jonah was doing what he did, our conversation might go differently. We'd probably sit there and say, what's wrong with you, Jonah? After everything I taught you, after how I've taken care of you, all the mercy I showed you, I could have let you drown. I could have let you rot in the belly of that fish. Jonah, when are you going to grow up? Do you know how many people would love to have everything I gave you? Don't you know there's starving people in South America? So eat your vegetables. Oh, wait a minute. That comes from parents. You know, it doesn't work, does it? They still sit there. The point is this. If we would have been God and we were dealing with Jonah, we would have given our self-righteous indignation towards that person. But what we're talking about this morning is a choice. Jonah could adopt his perspective and emotions, or he could adopt a God's perspective and emotions. And our difficulty today is is everything is determined by what I feel. You know, back in history, there was a guy by the name of René Descartes, a French philosopher in the 1600s. And he coined a popular phrase, I think, therefore I am. You've probably heard that. And what that means is someone is capable of any form of thought, and that thought would determine and define their reality. That's why last week we stressed the importance of God's word. It is our defining reality. Now, there's speculation by philosophers today that based upon our culture, he would have to change that. He would have to say, I feel, therefore I am. Because in our culture, what we feel defines our reality, and it's why we have the issue with gender fluidity, because you wake up and what you feel is who you are. Now, there's three errors that Jonah made. The first is, he abandoned his mission, even though he had no instruction for God to do so. And we can apply this to God's word. When we live in direct violation of his word, you are abandoning what is God's best for you. But it feels so right? Number two, Jonah built a shelter away from Nineveh. That's its body language. I mean, how many times when we don't want to be part of something, we remove ourselves, we isolate ourselves. And three, he became a spectator. He sat on the sidelines and gave us critique. You know, if he were God, this is how he would have handled that. Now, there's a little different context. And again, I talked last week about the word appointed. He appointed a plant, a worm, and an yeast. And it comes to the second question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And so we see here the illogic of anger, the illogic of being a victim. At first he was happy, but then he was angry. And God tried to point out how selfish and petty he was being. And God was setting him up for a lesson, as God always does, doesn't he? Amen? Here we're talking about self-pity or playing the victim. We're always trying to figure out, and we're always trying to find out who's at fault. We attempt to shift responsibility away from us. And here Jonah tells God, I did what you wanted, but you did not do what I wanted. I mean, see that kind of relationship, that deal he wanted to do? And what we need to deal with is root causes, just not symptoms. You know, symptoms of the externals. It's like the doctor only treating the pain and not the break. And isn't that what we do? We try to numb ourselves. It can be with drugs, work, pleasure, sex, power. It doesn't matter. Now, one night at our Discovery Recovery meeting, there's an individual that gave one of the best presentations I ever heard on being a victim. So I'm going to ask her to come up. Um, Can I grab one of these mics right here? And I just got two questions. Her name's Susan Mitchell, by the way. Um, Oh, it's on now, okay? And, you know, we were there at the beginning of Susan's journey because she kind of ended up the way, but she left because she didn't like the rules. (laughs) But we didn't leave her, and she didn't leave us. And God has done some incredible things in her life. So... You talk about playing the victim, Yeah. OK? Yeah. Tell us what that looked like, you doing this whole victim thing and blaming everybody else.
1: Sure. Um, in my life. In your life. OK. Um, so uh, I think it started from a very young age for me. And I'll try to keep it short. Yes. Um, but basically, um, I was adopted. And um, being adopted, for some reason, impacted me greater, I think, than it impacts the average person who is adopted. And um, it it festered in my soul, Um, and so instead of being grateful uh, for the wonderful family that God put me in, I chose instead to focus on the fact that when I would mention to people I'm adopted, they gave me uh, pity and attention, and it allowed me to manipulate and control people, Um, and so that fed this idea of being a victim gives me power. Um, and also allows me to not take responsibility for the mistakes that I make in life. So it, it led to a lot of things, and a lot of self-pity. Um, like you said, in Jonah, he's just, he has self-pity. So I, I was always pitying myself, and I think it's John Piper that says self-pity is a feeder sin, so, if you have self pity, you're looking to soothe yourself and comfort yourself. And in my case, it was drugs um, and, and other addictions. And everyone has their own way of soothing their, their soul when they're self pitying themselves.
0: So, yeah. I'm fascinated. You talk about manipulation control. You use yeah. that. Yes. And you were good at it.
1: I was, yes. <laughs>
0: So how'd you move past that? I mean, it's one thing to be in it Mm -hmm. and stuck in it. How did you move past it?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, It took time. Um, Getting clean was obviously the first step. Um, And I I think it was who God put in my life. Um, Obviously, I was at the way. And because of the way, I met my mentor, Bridget, um, who's fantastic. But uh, she slowly started to change my thinking. So when you're stuck in the self-pity and the victim mode, your thinking is wrong. It's just wrong. Um, and so basically I had to redirect and retrain my brain to think differently. So she would, you know, I would go to her and be like, this happened. Wah. And she would be like, okay, I hear you. That's that's a bummer. But how about, why don't you look at what God is doing for you and what God has done in this in- instance? So she just redirected my brain. And I think of Hebrews 3.13 uh, where it says, you know, you should um, encourage each other daily mm-hmm. or every day that is today um, so that you are not deceived by sin. And that's that's what we need to do. And that's what Bridget did for me as she changed my thinking. And boy, I want to know what happened to Jonah. Like, did he change his thinking, Pastor Greg? <laughs> uh, we'll find out. Um, okay. <laughs> thank you.
0: Okay, thank you. Give a round of applause. I wish you could hear her her whole 30-minute presentation on this because it's fantastic. We're to question three now. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you do not labor, nor did you make it grow? How many things in our life did we not labor or make grow that we think we did? Which came to being in a night and perished in a night, and should I not pity? I want to focus on that word pity, Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons probably referring to children who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. He threw the livestock in there. Pity. Some translations use the word compassion. Here's the definition in Hebrew. It means to grieve over someone or something. It's the language of emotional attachment. And you know, emotional attachment is often involuntary. I mean, many of you know I ride motorcycle. I've had that bike for many years. I got 180, I mean, I got 84,000 miles on it. And there is an emotional attachment to that bike because we've ridden a lot of roads. Now, that's different than the emotional attachment I have for my wife or kids or grandkids or even GBC. But here's what God says to Jonah. Listen, you have this emotional attachment to this plant. I have an emotional attachment to people. And I'm weeping over people. Why aren't you? So let me pull it together and just come up with these three thoughts in closing. It's God is patient. Look how he deals with Jonah. He's truthful, but he's patient and he's gentle. God weeps over us. He wept over Nineveh. There's no one outside of God's compassion and tears. And God is generous in his mercy, in his forgiveness. And can we have an amen for that? Yeah. So the text ends with a cliffhanger. <laughs> like Susan, I think I wish I knew what Jonah did, but he doesn't tell us. We have no idea. And so I got thinking that, you know what? All scripture is profitable. It's written for a reason. And there's a reason for this cliffhanger. And I think what it says, remember back, we talked about how the Jewish, when they would read Jonah, they'd all say, we are Jonah. I mean, Jonah is not about a bunch of prophecies. It's about a person. And when you look at how Jonah reacts to life, reacts with God, we are Jonah, aren't we? And so I think the cliffhanger is this. We're invited to write out our own ending for us, for our life. Now, we're going to get more into this next week, but this is a story about us, how we view God, and how we get attached to, and what we get attached to, and why. It's, it's what we do with people that we see who are different than us. But let me close with this thought. As I was reflecting this week about those getting baptized, it's really a chance for all of us to affirm our decision to follow Christ. It's really a moment for all of us to think about what's ahead. And for all of us, there's going to be days like Jonah that we're going to isolate, we're going to be tired, we're going to play the victim, we're going to get angry with God. There's going to be days that we really don't want to move ahead anymore. But I don't know about you. When I reflect everything that's been going on for the last 18 months, both personally and publicly, I am so tired of all the division, lies, politics of our culture. And I long for a safe place. I long for a place that's full of truth, love, and unity. I long for a place that has no politics. Just people walking with people towards Jesus. For me, that safe place on this earth is the church. And my wife and I have chosen to make this the safe place for us. Now, the assumption I make is that if I'm tired of all this stuff around us, so are other people. So let me encourage you, as we write the end of this book, let GBC be that place for the sake of his kingdom and for all the Ninevehs in our life out there that we don't necessarily want to be with and yet so desperately need the grace and mercy and truth of who God is, and he will bring revival. Amen? I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Um, again, encourage you to greet the people down there. We'll ask you to move, Sean, because you weren't baptized. <laughs> and uh, just let them know that you're praying for them, support them. But isn't it a great morning? Because we, we saw stories this morning that preached. Amen? So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this, mo- this morning. We thank you for those who publicly declared that they want to follow you. And that, that is going to be an exciting adventure. And some of it's going to be tough. Sometimes they may feel like they're going to quit, but I just pray for courage and compassion and for perseverance that you help them keep walking because this world needs the light of what you have. I mean, we know that. Uh, so I pray, Lord, that we become who we are to become in you and become that glorious light because you appointed us to be light and salt in this world. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the way you bless us. I pray for those that got baptized that you will continue to cover them with protection this week and the weeks to come. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and everyone said, amen. You're dismissed.